Welcome to CEF Insights, your source for closed-end fund information and education, brought to you by the Closed-End Fund Association. My name is Diane Merritt. Today we are joined again by Tom Rossine, Head of Research Services with Refinitiv Lipper and author of the Fund Market Insight Report, which provides in-depth monthly commentary on the closed-end fund market. We're happy to have you with us today, Tom. Hi, Dan. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Tom, you recently published your report for August 2020, covering over 500 closed-end interval funds. How did markets generally perform in August, and what was the impact on closed-end funds? Well, it was a really strong month for equities. I think most people know that we had one of the strongest NASDAQ returns for August uh, in almost 30 years. It reported a 9.59% return for the month, so really spectacular. On the tax-exempt side of munis, uh, they really struggled. We saw some negative numbers, and kind of in the middle of the area, we did have about, uh, I don't know, half of the bond funds actually do pretty good. But was happening those people were weighing they continue cases of COVID-19 opening of schools and some we heard that some of the schools actually two weeks after they opened they closed again and so people were concerned about that particularly people were concerned about the government impasse concerning the emergency of unemployment the emergency unemployment package that we've been working with uh, here recently and they weighed that against the Fed's commitment to support the economy. I mean, it's been all the way saying we'll do whatever it takes. And I think the biggest news was the improvements in the unemployment rate. We saw 1.76 million new jobs added last month, and then or the month prior to that, actually. And the unemployment rate dropped to 10.2%, so it was really quite good. But again, what we saw was equity funds for the fifth month in a row basically rise. For August, we saw a 2.71% return on a NAV basis. And we saw a 3.59% return on a market basis. But year-to-date, they're still down 7.56. And on the fixed income side, we also saw, for the fifth month in a row, plus side returns. But uh, this time, we saw for August a 0.73% return for fixed income funds on an AV basis and a 0.64% return on a market. And year-to-date, they're down just 1.22%. So really, it was a good month. Not so strong for, again, for the fixed income side of the universe, but very good for the equity side of the universe. Your data breaks out closed-end funds into over 20 classifications. What classifications were the best performing for the month, and which sectors struggled? Well, let's take a look first at kind of our macro groups. You know, and when I told you, you know, how equities did and fixed income did, we saw about 86% of all equity funds posting plus side returns. That's first. Second of all, I did make mention to it already, but fixed income funds only had about 58% that were winners. But for the fourth month in a row, we saw that world equity funds stayed at the top of the universe group for equity funds. World equity funds returned about 3.86%. Mixed asset funds return about 3.61%, and domestic equity funds return about 2.10%. If we take a look at the equity side and kind of just narrow down on that, we see that convertible securities for the second month in a row was a top performer, 5.76%. And remember I was talking about this maybe last month when we were chatting. We saw that the convertible securities, you know, they have this very yield that they pay out, but they also benefit a lot when markets are rising strongly, and they did rise strong both in the preceding two months. So this might be a game changer as we go into the month of September, but 5.76% for them. Developed market funds had a wonderful 5.21%, and diversified equity funds even had a return of 4.28%. At the bottom, however, we see utility funds only produced a 0.05% plus side return, and real estate funds were the group that bettered the utility funds, and they returned about 0.63%. If we take a look now at fixed income, we know that the Treasury came out, and actually the Treasury curve actually shifted up after the Fed announced a new inflation policy. 
it basically stated that it's going to let inflation run a little hot. Uh, what they've done in the past prior to this new rule is that it got close to 2% or they're concerned about it entering the 2% range. It already started hiking rates. They're going to go ahead and let it run a little hot, let in, uh, employment get a little hotter than they normally would before they make any cuts. So they're going to allow the 2% rate to actually go above 2% and then make the cut. So it won't be a preemptive attack. So we saw this actually weigh on some of the quality issues, so, so the treasury issues. We saw it weigh on the muni bond fund side. In fact, fixed income funds, domestic taxable fixed income actually were up 1.63%, pretty handsome. World fixed income funds were up 1.51%. And then muni bond funds for the first month and four actually had negative returns, 0.53%. And is this a change in what you saw from July? It is. We basically saw a change. And again, as I was saying, uh, you know what, let me take a step back there, uh, Diane, as well, because what we saw was uh, loan participation funds actually do much better. And the reason I bring this up kind of afterwards now, we saw 1.89% return for this group. And this is usually people looking at uh, inflationary concerns, right? Because it's adjustable rate mortgage type of thing. It's not, it's not a mortgage, but adjustable rate loans that are out there, bank loans. And it was a 1.89% this first month and nine, they actually went to the top. And U.S. mortgages actually were at the top as well, 1.82%. So the change we saw this month was basically for uh, equity funds did exactly the same. Everybody was powering on. We saw convertible securities do well. But where we saw the drastic change was in the fixed income closed-in fund universe. Uh, again, that was one of the big changes we saw. And I didn't mention that for the muni bond funds, all nine classifications were in negative territory. And that's something we haven't seen for at least four months. And then also the bottom of the barrel was the California municipal debt. So really the group that struggled here, the change that we saw was, again, the fixed income side, particularly on the tax-exempt side of the business. Are you expecting these trends to carry over into September? Big changes are, are afoot. Uh, we've all seen uh, the huge market meltdown. Big tech is actually dragging down just about everybody. In fact, today is Tuesday, and we are seeing a continuation of the meltdown we saw on Thursday and Friday. The big one was on Thursday. But we're basically looking at people probably wanting to move into, let's say, safe haven plays uh, for a while. So we're going to see, for instance, uh, you know, big dividend payers probably do better. We're going to see maybe some people jump into gold as they duck for cover. So these are some of the issues that we've been taking a look at here recently. Closed-end funds can trade at a premium or discount to net asset value. What were the trends in premium discount behavior? We saw the median discount for all closed-end funds in August narrow about 15 basis points. Again, remember, it was a really good month for equities. So basically, we saw it decline to about 8.56%, and that is worse than, and still remains worse or wider than, uh, the 12-month moving average median discount of 7.73. So when we take a, a kind of a deeper look, that was for all closed-end funds. Equity funds improved about four basis points to 11.92%, and then we saw fixed income narrow about 11 basis points to a 7.19% discount for the group. And again, these are all medians. If we use an average for people thinking, why are they talking about medians? When we these averages are some funds that have some huge outliers, right? They have really big discounts, really big premiums. We try to take out those outliers, so we use the median. How do premiums and discounts compare to their historical averages? They're still significantly wider than they were a year ago. For instance, remember I told you that the median discount for all equity funds and fixed income funds combined was 8.56. If we go back to September 2019, a year ago, it was at 6.42% for all funds in equity and fixed income. There was 101 basically trading at a premium at that time. 
and you know that's changed quite a bit. Equity funds, as far as the uh, discount goes, it was at 6.39% uh, in September with 50 trading at a premium, and then we saw fixed income funds basically at 6.46 with 51 of those funds trading at a premium. And if we take kind of a look, just I won't go through all the numbers again, but if we take a look at the numbers right now for all closed-end funds, we're basically looking at 77 funds that are trading at a premium. That was as of 831. So big change uh, as far as difference between a year ago to today, and certainly it has a lot of room for improvement. Which sector saw the greatest change? Well, we saw, again, this is where people were actually looking for yield. So we saw high-yield closed-end funds, and, of course, they also moved well with equities. Equities had a great month uh, last month. Largest narrative discount occurred for high-yield funds, uh, basically 222 basis point improvement to 7.48%. And then we saw that the National Municipal Bond Fund macro group saw the largest widening of discounts. As I told you, they were in negative territory uh, last month. They dropped about 123 basis points to 6.80 on the median discount for that group. Tom, we are now moving into fall. Areas of the economy are improving, but there are still some economic uncertainties, and we have an election in about two months. With that backdrop, are there sectors where investors may find uh, particular opportunities, given where those funds are trading relative to their historical averages? I'm still going to say yes, as we've been talking about it. I think we need to expect a lot of volatility to come out there, although I think if most people think about back to election years, because nobody wants to you know, do anything real big and make big changes, the Fed stays out of it, really, as far as if there was going to be a hike or a decline in rates, they usually wait so it doesn't impact the presidential election or the actual election that's going on. But I still expect a lot of um, volatility to go on. Markets are down, as I said before. Uh, they continue to be down over the last three or four days. So I think that we're going to see you know, big tech stocks taking a hit. But investors still are going to be searching for yield. So I think there are some opportunities. If we look at, for instance, one of the best performing categories, again, I think people turn to quality when there's times of tough things. So kind of the quality area is triple B or better. So we'll see our triple B funds. They're actually up 5.88% for the year so far. But I think there is some possibility there that quality will be uh, kind of a place people are going to uh, on the fixed income side. And then we may even look at some of the big losers here recently. Again, we're looking for yield. We saw that the real estate has been doing really good. We'll have to see what this recent meltdown has done. Uh, but they're down 7.61% for the year so far still. And we see utility funds are down 11.23. So there might be that opportunity to, to buy those. Also, if people are looking for that opportunity, they might even be able to buy some of the you know big losers out there, you know, natural resources and the like. This is an opportunity to buy on the dip. But again, I'm a little cautious here just because we're still concerned about coronavirus. We're still concerned about the presidential election coming up. We're still worried about the bailout uh, for unemployment. And, and many people are concerned about this unemployment package not getting passed because of such strong unemployment numbers that we had that came out just recently. So I think people are going to keep an eye on it. You know, when the unemployment rate drops to 8.2% from 102 um, I mean, I'm sorry, it was probably 8.4. I'm doing this from the top of my head. But when you see that type of an improvement, there's not a lot of catalyst for either side of the parties to actually push through another package. So I think people are a little concerned there. So I keep an eye out on that. But again, quality, I think, is going to be the name of the game here. Tom, you also follow interval funds, which typically offer limited quarterly liquidity to investors. How have interval funds generally performed so far this year? You know, when we look at these, I like to look at like the five categories or six categories that we know there's a lot of equivalent funds. So when I mean by equivalent funds, we have the interval funds almost equal to the number of conventional funds. So we see real estate, 
sector equity, loan participation funds, and preferred stock is where these funds have done a better job mitigating losses. Let me give you an example here. We saw that for real estate funds, and I mentioned them just a second ago, they're down 16.06% basically for the year-to-date return. And that is on the conventional fund side, uh, our conventional closed-end fund side. If we look at the uh, the interval funds, they're only down 4.70%. So they've done a better job of mitigating losses. On the flip side, if we look at the general bond category, they've actually done a worse job mitigating losses. We see that the conventional closed-end fund was down about 1.20% for general bond fund group, where it was down 3.68% for the interval funds. So there has been a, a mixture there, but in four of the six categories that I consider to have large representation in there, they've actually beat their conventional closed-end fund brethren. Do you see interval funds as an interesting option for investors looking for higher-yielding investments? I do, and I think every time I talk about interval funds, I have to bring up the issue that it's a long-term investment. When you get into this, this is nothing you're going to get in and get out because interval funds have a limited amount of uh, times that they can actually, that you and I can actually redeem our shares. Usually it's quarterly. Some are semi-annual or even annual, but most of them are quarterly. And uh, again, they're only required to do between 5 and 25%, whatever they state in their prospectus language. But they also, in most cases, say they don't have to do any sort of redemption. But let's get back to the question. So, yes, I think there, there are, you know, some yields where you can get a higher yield, uh, uh, funds you can get a higher yield from because they're allowed to go into, the, let's say, the private equity placement or in the private placements or into bond funds that you and I normally couldn't buy on the market. They're able to do that, you know, through private placements. So we're able to get a bigger yield, and they're able to go after those bigger yields as the yield curve, let's say, moves up. Uh, in this flat interest rate environment, and we expect to stay flat for some time because the Fed said they're not going to do anything. They're not even thinking about doing anything as far as hiking rates. This is an opportunity for us to be in a long-term, higher-yield instrument. But keep in mind, again, there is a caveat. You can't sell when you want to. And so there's some illiquidity issues that we need to pay attention to when purchasing interval funds. How do you see these funds benefiting an income-oriented investor if they're concerned about market volatility? Well, it would stop me if I, you know, when I'm in an interval fund, it stops me from selling my security, um, you know, because I can't sell it anyway. So that can be a good thing in, in, during market volatility when you get some big swings and maybe you might let psychology uh, come into your buy and sell decision. This will take that piece out of there. And so there really is a benefit also that managers don't have to sell. This is more towards the open end uh, universe and comparability. But there is no issue for them to actually have to go out there or pressure for them to go out there and sell a security to cover redemptions. So, again, the closed-end funds, and this is true for all closed-end funds, but the closed-end interval fund also has the ability to, again, be in those private placements and not have to worry about, you know, whether they're marking the market, let's say, for trading purposes on a regular basis. So, again, I think there are some benefits. And, again, I would be, caveat, just be very cautious with these as a long-term investment and long-term investment only. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Pleasure to be here, Diane. Thanks. And we want to thank you for tuning in to another CEF Insights podcast. For more educational content, please visit our website at www.cefa.com.